When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 57, and we are recording on November 22nd. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's our first, well, it's not our first show post-election, but it is our first show post-Book Riot Live, and it feels yeah. like the first show post-election, because that whole weekend was just like a haze. It was, and um. it was very, like, emotional hangover yeah. for like several days after yeah um in a good way a lot yeah. of ways but also yeah. in like a real bad way a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes it was the um, silver lining on like the dark dark cloud yeah so. uh so before we get into it i uh wanted to tell you how the show works if this is your first time listening this is going to be a weird one for you just to warn you but usually how the show works is, uh, you know, we're a personalized reading recommendation show, like I said, so you send us your reading recommendation requests. If you need, you know, you're going on a trip and you want books about that area, or you need a book to fill the hole in your heart left by Harry Potter, or anything like that, something for your book club, a present, send it to us and we'll answer it on the show. Uh, you can email your requests to getbooktobookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes, um, which are on the site. Um, we are also answering some questions by email instead of on the show if they're repeats. So if we've answered the question on, or similar question on the air before, we're not going to make you like go back and listen to all 57 episodes. So we'll just email you a link to that show and or new suggestions um, so you don't have to wait forever. Okay, so this show is going to be a little different. If you were at Book Riot Live or you listened to that episode from last week, we're dropping our regularly scheduled programming for this week and are instead doing a post-election show. Um, reading recommendations for what to read, you know, now that we're all in our feelings. So if you are not, like, feeling like you want to listen to stuff about politics, then your, our feelings will not be hurt if you skip this particular episode. Um, so we're going to, we split it into like, kind of two categories here. We're going to talk about books to make you feel better, because I know a lot of us are feeling kind of bleh after the election. And then we're going to talk about books to kind of get you woke or like get you moving. So these are two different things we're going to cover. And then at the very end, if we have time, which we probably should, we're going to go over some uh, resources that are not bookish at all. But if you're feeling like you want to go out and do something, like do a thing, we've got a few um, ideas, people you can call, uh, places you can donate to, stuff like that. So we'll talk about that at the very end. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the politics show. Yeah. So, okay. So, right. So the first half here as it were, we're going to talk about books that make you feel better because, I mean, I'm sure we were all having a little bit of a hard time reading right now. Um, I know for myself, I've been picking up and putting down things. It's like very Goldilocks, how to find the right fit. Um, so, but before we get into that, we are going to do our first sponsor, which is Madison Reed. Uh, and they make at-home hair color with ingredients that you can feel good about. And I feel the same way about coloring your hair, whether it's like 
you know, shades found in nature or otherwise that I do about tattoos, which is that, like, sometimes you need to change the window dressing or remind yourself, like, who gets to make decisions about your body? And the answer is you. And um, so I'm a big fan of, you know, like, I guess it's mild body mod. I don't know. Anyway, so if you are interested in changing up your hair color, which is sometimes the thing I do that when I'm very stressed out, uh, you should give Madison Reed a look. Uh, They do, it's a box you can use at home. But they try to use uh, salon-level ingredients so that it is good for your hair as opposed to being bad for your hair. So it doesn't have ammonia or parabens or gluten or whatever. Uh, It does have things like argan oil, which is wonderful for curly hair if you have not tried that out. Um, Ginseng root. Yeah, right? Argan oil is Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it smells nice. (laughs) It does smell nice. Uh, There's keratin in there, too. All kinds of good things. Um, And if you go on their website, you can use their shade pick to help you figure out which kind of direction you want to go in. So you tell them what your hair color is like now, what you're looking for, and they'll give you all kinds of great options um, to help you pick. So if you go to madison-reed.com, they will help you find your perfect shade, and you can get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the code BOOKED, B-O-O-K-E-D. So again, that's madison-reed.com, and you use the code BOOKED to get 10% off plus free shipping. All right. <sighs> okay, section one. <laughs> Feel better. Feel better. Feel better with Feel better. books. TM. Um, I'll, do you want me to go first? Yeah, okay, yeah, go first. Okay, because I broke mine up into sections as you opposed did. to like specific titles. Okay, um, so my first suggestion for feeling better in this like ridiculous cesspit—that's not a word—cesspool pit of despair that we're all in—is um, reading a really good, feel-good kids book from either your childhood or an or a new one like whichever one makes you feel better i'm talking like i'm talking like anne of green gables i'm talking like wrinkle in time like get in it get in something that makes you feel warm fuzzies about not just like your childhood but about humanity like hope for the future is what i'm talking about here so i mean obviously i don't need to tell you the plots of these books right like anne of green gables is about a young orphan who gets adopted by a lovely canadian brother and sister who are you know, in their their elderly, and she has adventures in Canada in um, the Edwardian period, and it's just it's so twee and precious in a way that often annoys me. But in it, like right now, it's kind of exactly uh, what I needed. Wrinkle in Time also a great choice because it's about a girl who's good at math defeating fascism, which I feel like is maybe a little on the nose right now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> another suggestion I have for this category that's not. A classic, but is something that's more modern, is the Agency series by Y.S. Lee. Uh, This is like a middle grade series of historical fiction um, set during the Victorian era. They're mysteries, uh, and I've recommended them before, but they're about a a teenage girl who is a pickpocket. Um, When the book opens, she's 12. When the first book opens, she's 12. And she's a pickpocket. She's been caught. She's about to be hanged. And then she gets rescued by a girl's school who promises to, like, raise her and teach her manners and turn her into, like, a nice young lady who can work at a flower shop like Eliza Doolittle or something like that. But it turns out that the school is actually a front for um, a private detective agency that's run by all women. Uh, And so she, uh, in these books, she goes on, like, various adventures solving crime. And they're, like, not gory at all because they're middle grade. And she's a biracial character, which is nice. Um, And the reason why I think that these are great is because... Like, you got to give yourself time to get into some escapism, I think. Like, my first reaction after the election, um, aside from, you know, sadness or whatever, or shock, was like, I need to do something. And all of that's true, but that doesn't mean that you can't also, like, sit down and read a, a book that 
just makes you like feel nice in your heart. <laughs> like those two things are not mutually exclusive. Um, so yeah, read a read a kids book, <laughs> like a old good one. That's my first suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just rearranged all my recs because they kind of fit into your categories anyway. So we'll have okay. like a little bit of of a segue. Um, and actually, that was like the perfect segue to. I just wanted to mention I was lucky enough to be at the National Book Awards last week. What day is it? Mm-hmm. It was last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of amazing speeches. Uh, Larry Wilmore referred to who was the MC referred to them as like the woke National Book Awards, and I was like, that's yeah. <laughs> Yes, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Larry Wilmore. Um, And so, uh, but one of the things that somebody said really struck me, and it was during the award to um, Kaveh Kanem, which is a black poets organization who has done a lot of amazing work, and they were getting, like, an achievement award. And one of the people accepting the award is a poet named Toy Derricot. Yes, Derricot. And she said, and I quote, Joy is an act of resistance. And I just have been, like, hanging on to that because it feels like it's not okay to ever be happy ever again sometimes when you're facing down, like, the intensity of feelings about our political situation and what's going on and our friends and family who are in danger and all of that stuff, Um, like, actually getting assaulted in public, that kind of thing. But, you know, you have to, like, joy is an act of resistance. It's okay to find happiness so that you can keep moving forward. Um... And so in that vein, uh, reading Feel Good Kids books, I had The True Meaning of Smack Day by Adam Rex on my list of things that I think would be great to read right now. Um, It is just a delightful book. Uh, It's about a little girl named, um, oh, my notes are all out of order. Here we go. A little girl named Tip. uh, Her full name is Gratuity. Uh, Gratuity Tucci. She's she's got the best name. Um, Who is on Earth and she's been separated from her mom and the planet is being taken over by aliens. Um, and they are like kind of ridiculous aliens, super bureaucratic, kind of like bumbling, but also they have all the power and they send all the humans to like a resettlement zone in Florida. And tip is still like up on the East coast. So she's got to get to Florida to find her mom. Um, and she is 12 and, uh, she is writing the story of her adventure as like a school essay. So you kind of know like that it all ends up okay in the end, which is nice. Um, and along the way she makes friends with an alien, um, who ends up being named JLo. Um, it's like, it's a really (laughs) comedic, like it's hard to describe without laughing. It's really comedic. It's really fun. Um, tip is a character of color, which is great. And um, I don't know, it's just like a freaking delight. They made a movie out of it called Home that doesn't stick super close to the plotline, but I felt like it captured the spirit of the book um, in a really wonderful way also. And so uh, so you can you can read the book and then watch the movie, and then that's another read harder challenge task like ticked off since we're getting close to the end of that. Um, but I highly, highly recommend it. It's just a really fun, delightful read. That is The True Meaning of Smek Day by Adam Rex. <clears throat> All right, my second category for this is read a book about a marginalized person kicking ass. Because, man, <laughs> um, I, when, uh, words. So my first selection for this is Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova, which is a new uh, release young adult fantasy that I was reading a couple of days before the election, and then the election happened. And then the fact that I was reading it, that I was in the middle of this book, um, was very c- kind of comforting to me in this 
in the like after the emotional and, and intellectual and political aftermath of um, you know the first couple of days after the election. So. The reason why was because Labyrinth Lost and all the other books that I'm going to suggest here um, are about is about a teenage girl who is brown. She's Latina. Um, she's also bisexual, and she goes off on this epic adventure to save her family um, from evil. And and I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but she just like kicks butt, you know. And it's it's not. It's really not. I don't know if nice is the right word, but it was comforting to me to read about. Uh, a particular kind of person, a particular um, character who had several intersections of marginalization, uh, who overcomes a lot of like very direct evil in order to live her life and to be her own self. And I feel, you know, it's not like a thinly veiled metaphor for what marginalized people are going to have to do again, continually. Um, for the next four years and maybe eight years, who knows what the future is hopefully for. Um, but it was, you know, hope giving a little bit. And also um, just a reminder that this kind of oppression and the, the new versions of it that we're going to be facing and that we have already started to face are not really new. Like we've, we've been here before um, and know how to defeat it. So um, I think reading a book about somebody who is from an oppressed identity right now, who, like, wins, is just really feel good. <laughs> like, it just makes you feel better. So, um, anyway, so Labyrinth Lost is about a girl who, a teenage girl who lives in Brooklyn, whose family and, like, her community is uh, all brujas and brujos, which is, like, a, a Latina version of, like, witchcraft. Um, it's not, like... When I think of, like, pagan Wicca kind of witchcraft, it's a very, like, Eurocentric sort of pantheon and system of uh, magic. And this is not that. This is very, like, South American culturally, and um, their pantheon of gods is all South American. Uh, and she doesn't like her powers because they are kind of too much for her to handle. She's had some bad consequences of using them, so she's trying to get rid of them. And in trying to get rid of them, she accidentally casts her family and all of the spirits of her dead ancestors into another realm that's ruled by an evil woman like you do so she has to like go there and save them and so it's fun like it's a fun page turner it's it qualifies as like escapism because you get in it and then you're you know you're done in like a day but it's also just very like affirming um and i liked it a lot <laughs> end of <laughs> sentence <laughs> uh my turn okay yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. Um, I'll come back to... Yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. My next pick is also sort of a kick-butt uh, fantasy theme. Um, I'm going to do two. I'll do them short. So the first one is Turbulence by Summit Basu. Um, it is about a bunch of people who are on this flight from London to Delhi, and they got off, and they all had a superpower. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're just people on a plane. Like, they're not, like, government agents. They're not, like, people who have been trained for this. They're not any kind of, like, specific mix. It's just anyone who was on this one flight from London to Delhi gets off and has a superpower. And it's, like, a superpower that's linked to whatever sort of their deepest wishes. Um, so they manifest in really weird ways. Um, and then, uh, so they're all, like, kind of scattered around the world trying to, like, get used to having superpowers. Some of them are kind of underground. Some of them are above ground. Some of them don't even really know what their superpower is or that they have one. Um, and then somebody starts hunting them down. Um, so they start to sort of collect to protect each other and themselves. And, of course, lines get drawn. It's kind of like if the X-Men was actually, like 
international and had more characters of color it like that's kind of the vibe of it like what do you you know you've got the people on one side who are like we're the new world order and then you've got the people on the other side who are like no we should use our powers for good um and obviously they clash and then lots of people are in the in-between um but i just love them they have a good sense of humor they have great action i love the characters in this series it's a two book series the first one is turbulence the second one is resistance and you should definitely read them and then i you know i always like I seek refuge in science fiction and fantasy. Um, it's the first place I go. And I have a giant stack of mass markets uh, all in the same series because there's like 14 books in this series now. And when things like get rough, these are what I pick up. Um, the first one in the series is Magic Bites uh, by Ilona Andrews, which is actually a husband and wife writing team. Um, it's the first book in the Kate Daniels series, and Kate Daniels is, like, the grumpiest heroine of ever. She's got mad skills because she was raised sort of on the run, um, in hiding from her father, who probably wants to kill her, uh, and she's just trying to, like, have a life and put her skills to good use. You know, she's been trained to be a weapon, but she wants to be a weapon for good, and that is not always easy. So sometimes she makes bad choices, also sometimes she makes bad choices because she's grumpy, there's a, <laughs> there's a love of interest... I know, right? Um, as you do, as you do, whether or not you've been trained to be like this, a super weapon in and of yourself. Um, and I just, the books actually get better and better. Like, I love all of them, but the latest ones have been amazing. So if you need like a long series to dive into that will keep you going for quite some time, uh, that is the Kate Daniels series. So the first book is Magic Bites by Alona Andrews. Okay, I'll stop now. Okay, I actually did have two more in this category, so I will mention them really quickly in case you need more recommendations for books about marginalized people kicking butt. Um, the second one is also YA. It's Iron Cast by Destiny Soria, uh, which takes place during Prohibition Era in Boston, and it's about two girls who are best friends who live in, like, a speakeasy um, because they have a uh, kind of blood affliction called Hema something. I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, it gives people who have it the ability to manipulate the emotions of other people. Um, and using this particular ability has been outlawed, and so they take refuge living in this speakeasy and performing, etc. Except there are um, gangs of, like, street justice, I guess, humans who are rounding these people up um, and shipping them off to essentially prison with no due process and then doing experiments on them and torturing them. Um, and it sounds, you know, that's a little bit also kind of on the nose for what we're about to head into, it seems like, based on the news the past couple of days. Uh, and so it's really uh, also affirming to see them win, basically, because uh, we win. That's what we do. And it's like, it, but it's like fun. And, you know, there's like the fashion of the 20s is really cool and described very nicely. One of the characters is biracial. One of them is super rich, but is like weirded out by how her family is going to receive her if they find out her secret. So she runs off. Um, there's, uh, it's very like feministy and very much about female friendships. Like that's the core of the story. The other thing I wanted to mention is Bitch Planet, which is a series of comics by, um, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Val Delandro. Cosine, who was, cosine. Yes, who was at um, Book Right Live. And yeah. I met him and it was awesome. And I managed to not show him my tattoo because it's on my chest and that would have been made really inappropriate. <laughs> but it was nice to meet Val. Um, anyway, so Bitch Planet is a sci-fi comic that takes place in a not-too-distant future when Earth is a um, overt patriarchy and women who do not conform to traditional gender roles are sent to a prison planet colloquially called... Wow, did I say that right? Colloquially? <laughs> <laughs> You're very close. <laughs> I'm like close. I'm like in the neighborhood uh, called Bitch Planet. And um, while they're there, they have to, you know, defend themselves from the guards and all of that. And over the course of 
the comics, you find out all of their backstories. Um, and there's so much representation in this, uh, in the, in the comic, of course, you know, it's about women and feminism. It's, there's also like transgender characters. There are tons of characters of color, um, and it's based on like '70s black exploitation films, which is awesome. And it's also got kind of a um, gladiator thing going on. So there's a lot going on in this uh, in this book, but the characters like kick ass, and it's comforting. Okay. So my next category was read a book with a happy ending. I took out all the curse words. I call there, there's a lot of curse words. I'm very in, proud of you. <laughs> thank you. In the in the names of these categories, I when I wrote them down, I see you. I see you. Thank you. <laughs> so read a book with a happy ending. And for me, that is like read a romance novel because there's always that, you know, that's like the definition of a romance novel is uh, it's about a central relationship and has a happily ever after or at least an emotionally satisfying ending. Um, l- remind yourself that love is real, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying here. Uh, so one that I just read that I really liked was Sins of a Wicked Duke by Sophie Jordan. And this is the first in a series about and each book in the series follows Um, a student from a, like, Jane Eyre-style boarding school, if you remember the school that she goes to at the beginning of the book when she's a kid, like, where they starve the girls and beat them, and it's very, like, religiously oppressive. And these, the characters um, manage to, like, grow up and escape, and now they're adults and are, like, living, trying to make their way in the world. Um, And so the first book is about one of the students named Fallon, who has grown up, she has, like, big red hair, and she's very tall and, like, statuesque. Um, and so, but she's also very poor, so she works in service, um, you know, like house cleaning and stuff like that. But she keeps getting fired because the men she works for continue to try to sexually assault her, except she is of a size that she can, like, physically defend herself. So she gets in a lot of fights with, like, the men she works for, and then she gets fired. So she can't hold down a job through no fault of her own. Um, so eventually, when she's, like, at her wit's end and is out of money, she cuts off all her hair, dresses like a man, and gets a job as a valet working for a duke. This duke also happens to be very troubled um, and is a womanizer. And shenanigans ensue, <laughs> as they would when a statuesque redheaded lady dresses like a man and works for you 24 hours a day. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it's very... Um, I, I read this a couple of days after the election, and I gotta tell you, like, in light of Trump's comments about the way that he treats w- women, reading about a, a main character who, like, physically fights back made made me so happy. Like, it... I mean, violence is bad, y'all, you know, but not in that context. I personally, like, feel like not so much. So, um, it, uh, yeah, it was, it was nice. It was like, ah, fist in the air. And also it's, like, saucy and just feel good um, and happily ever after, which is still possible. (laughs) (laughs) I will keep saying it. Okay, so that's, that's that. Um, I also picked a romance for you all, and it is A Bollywood Affair by Sonali Dev. Um, I love her books. And this one, I think, is the most lighthearted. Uh, they get they do get progressively like more intense in the feels arena. Um, but this is uh, this is the first one, and, and I love it. It's about a woman named Mili Retod, who was married to an, a, another child when she was four years old. Like, there was part of a big village multi-couple ceremony of small children, um, which was like a practice uh, in India. And um, and then she never saw her husband again for various reasons, um, quote-unquote husband. And so she's been raised by her very traditional grandmother, um, but she has kind of taken advantage of her marital status 
to, like, argue that she needs to be, like, well-educated and, you know, have skills um, to be the perfect wife for this husband who she has not seen since she was very small. Um, and so she, that includes her leaving India to study in America for eight months. Um, and so, but she, like, believes that she's married. She's not, like, gaming the system per se. Like, she is using her status, her marriage status to, like, get her things that she wants, but she really does believe that she's married and that someday she's going to be reunited with her husband. In the meantime, this guy has grown up, had, like, f- basically forgotten that this ever happened, doesn't consider it legally binding, and is, um, you know, moving on with his life. He's, like, in the Navy or the Air Force or something, and he uh, wants to get remarried, and then they discover, the grandmother sends them a letter, like, hey, when are you going to come get your bride? And they're like, oh, no. So his brother goes to Michigan, which is where Amelia is studying, um, to, like, get a divorce. And, of course, shenanigans ensue. Um, They find themselves falling for each other, which is complicated for all kinds of reasons that I have just explained. Um, And I love this because Millie's such a great main character she like she is vulnerable and she is feminine and she like really believes in what she's been taught raised to believe in but she still she like finds strength in that so it's not that she's like some I mean she does occasionally swoon and like she's clumsy and you know she's not like a physically powerful character but she's got such integrity and such like strength of heart um, that you, she's just amazing. She's a different kind of heroine from, I think, like, I love a kick-butt heroine as much as the next person, but it's really lovely to see a woman who has, like, owns her own beliefs and feelings and has, like, personal integrity and is gonna, you know, make the thing work for her. Um, so, and of course it's got a happy ending, and there's, like, a bunch of great scenes in between, and I really loved it. So that is A Bollywood Affair by Sanali Dev. Okay, my last pick for this feel better section is Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit, um, who also wrote Men Explain Things to Me. If So you might have read that by her. Um, so Hope in the Dark is a collection of essays that she wrote during the Bush administration, I think during his second term, um, that were about, that are all about what to do when we lose, like how to react and how to find hope again. Um, when we lose, which is obviously relevant right now. (laughs) Um, And so she was, you know, she wrote these essays in the context of the the war in Iraq and how her activism in an anti-war setting was obviously ineffective, not ineffective entirely, because, you know, small decisions about the war were affected by the protests, but the war happened, you know. Um, there were tons of demonstrations. There was a a global uh, march uh, against the war, um, during the Bush administration that Rebecca Solnit was personally involved in, and the war still happened. So, like, what do we do when we're fighting for good and we're fighting for right and we're fighting for the, you know, voices of people who aren't traditionally in power uh, and we don't win, which has been the case right now. Um, and so it's easy to get into, like, nihilism and it's easy to get into feeling like there's no point and that it's hopeless. And her, this book has been so helpful for me the past week, um, Maybe just seeing the word hope over and over again is having, like, some sort of, I don't know, osmosis. Like, I'm just absorbing it by osmosis, and so it's making me feel better a little bit at a time. Um, But she makes so many good points about how political despair is self-indulgent, because so often activists are from more privileged areas of life. uh, And so when we get in our feelings about it and feel like there's, there's no point, there's no reason to continue fighting for this, that, or the other thing, we're abandoning these people who don't have voices or platforms as large as the ones that we have, um, which was a good kick in the pants for me, uh, because that is, you know, it's true. 
And also she talks a lot about how justice is not like we like to think of justice as an inevitability as like this march, this forward march in time and uh, justice moves on an upward swing as time goes on. That is not always the case. You know, the dark ages exist because that's false. Um, And that's, I think, a hard thing for a lot of people who are realizing that right now. Um, But that doesn't mean that it's pointless because you don't know the effects of the work that you're doing now. It might not you might not see the benefits of it now. It might not happen. Like the things that you're looking for might not happen until you're dead and gone. But this groundwork that you're laying anyway, read the thing like she it's it's um, it's mostly just about how the work is the point, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. Sometimes we'll win. Sometimes we won't. Um, but you can't know. And so the gamble is worth it, uh, which is what I needed to hear, I guess, right now, because I was very much in my feelings about like, well, if we elect a fascist, really, what's the point? Um, but there's a lot of points, and she will tell you what those points are. So that's Hope in the Dark by Rebecca Solnit. And I don't know if it's still happening, but I got this book for free. after The week after the election, her publisher, Haymarket Books, was giving it away on their site, a digital version. Um, so you might that might be worth checking out if you go to Haymarket Books uh, and see if they're still giving it away. If not, it's only like $5. Uh, so either way, go get it. Okay, uh, my last pick for this section is, so you may have heard that Colson Whitehead won the National Book Award for Fiction for Underground Railroad, which I think is super well-deserved, um, but perhaps you are not ready to tackle it yet, which is legit. Um, I have another pick for you that is his nonfiction book called The Noble Hustle, uh, subtitled Poker, Beef, Jerky, and Death. Um, and he is just... I mean, Colson Whitehead is funny. Like, he also can write really amazing, serious books, but that man is funny. Um, And this is his book about uh, doing an assignment for Grantland to see how far he could get in the World Series of Poker. So they gave him, like, $10,000 and were were like, all right, go see how far you can get and document the process. Um, And he did not particularly know how to play poker. So he hired a personal trainer who, side note, is Helen Ellis of uh, the American American Housewife. Is that the name of her short story collection? I think that's right. Um, Anyway, she's like, you know, a southern woman par excellence who also happens to be an excellent poker player. Um, So it's about him, like, going on the bus to Atlantic City over and over again and, like, learning how to gamble successfully and how far is he going to get in this poker tournament and, like, what is poker as a metaphor for life anyway? Um, and he, it's just so entertaining. It will distract you. You will laugh out loud. Um, and like for five minutes, you know, you might feel better. Uh, so, <laughs> and then you can like move on when you're ready to his more weighty work. Um, so that is The Noble Hustle, Poker, Beef Jerky, and Death by Colson Whitehead. <laughs> Such a good subtitle. I love the subtitle so much. I can't like not say it when I talk about that book. It's too good. It's too good. That's extremely good. Um, okay, so before we get into our second section, which I jokingly call Get Woke in our agenda, uh, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Swoon Reads. Swoon Reads is a publisher who publishes the kind of latest and greatest in YA fiction. The difference between Swoon Reads and other publishers of YA fiction is the audience involvement in this. So they publish all kinds of YA, everything from, you know, these like grand epic coming of age stories to like alien sci-fi adventures, young adult romance. Um, and the community is involved in every step of the publishing process. So you can help them. You can read manuscripts as a reader and help them pick which books deserve to go on to ne- the next stages of the publishing process. Uh, readers can vote on which cover is best for which book, um, which is awesome. So they are focused on working with readers, YA readers, and communities um, to bring these stories to life that readers actually 
like are itching to get their hands on. Um, they are for authors. If you are out there, you know November's almost over, so if you've Nano Rimode and have a YA, a brand new YA novel you want to toss around, Swoon Reads is accepting uh, manuscript submissions across all genres of young adults, um, and it's nice to have reader feedback because readers can comment on, and give you suggestions on your manuscript. They can kind of help you along um, shaping your book to be, you know, as, as good as it can possibly be. So, so it, whether you are a writer of young adult literature in any genre or a reader of young adult literature of any genre, go to swoonreads.com and get involved. And thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Okay. Get woke. <clears throat> um, so the, the idea behind this section is if you're like, why is everyone so upset? I guess, you know, uh, if you kind of don't get why um, people are not into... I mean, I don't... I, I have a hard time comprehending why you wouldn't understand why, like, actual Nazis in the White House is a problem. But if you do, we have books for you to read. Or if you want to read things to help you kind of maybe understand how we got here a little bit. Or, um, like, get a focus on what issues you want to tackle. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know... Like, like narrow... I, Maybe it's our history major, you know, background, but, like, I always feel like I need to research before I get moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got books here covering all sorts of aspects of history, class, social justice, all kinds of stuff. So we are just going to dive in, and hopefully some of these will inspire you to get moving in whatever direction of activism or, you know, political work most interests you. Okay, so um, I'll just keep going. So my first uh, pick for this is They Can't Kill Us All by Wesley Lowry, uh, which I just finished, just came out last week. And this is kind of a sort of like social media and journalistic history of Black Lives Matter and police violence. So Wesley Lowry is a Washington Post reporter who I discovered on Twitter when he was in Ferguson, reporting on Ferguson. He was arrested um, when he was, you know, working as a reporter, like in a McDonald's, he was arrested. And so that kind of shot him onto the public eye, I guess, a little bit. And that's where I found, that's how I found out about him on Twitter. And so I've been following him for a while. And he was a reporter that the, that, uh, the Washington Post sent around to these sites of unarmed black people being killed by the police. So he was in Ferguson, he was in Baltimore, he was in all of these places. And then um, eventually he worked with the rest of the Washington Post staff to develop that huge database of police shootings over the last year or two, um, which had never been done before and was like an amazing undertaking of data. So if you, because no one had ever stopped to think of like, is there a data set we can look at to see the rate at which black people are shot unarmed by the police as opposed to other races? And there just wasn't. Like, that did not exist. So Wesley Lowry and the Washington Post created it, which at some point is a reason, one of the main reasons why I went with them when I went to get a newspaper instead of the New York Times. Anyway, so They Can't Kill Us All is kind of actually like sort of memoirish about how he got involved uh, with Ferguson, which was the first big story. Um, but it's also a lot about how the activists of Black Lives Matter came to create that movement, how they found each other on the ground, what they're doing now, um, why these particular sets of shootings, because, you know, police violence against black bodies is certainly not a new thing in this country. Um, but why is it that like these particular deaths set off this whole um, firestorm of social justice, activism, and Black Lives Matter. Uh, so it's that's what it's about, like social media, the effect of social media on activism. Um, it's not so much about the concept of why Black Lives Matter, which I should not need to explain to you, but if you do need that explained, um, the new tiny Hussey Coats Between the World and Me uh, would probably be a better starting point there. But if you want to understand like Black Lives Matter as an activist organization and as a specific movement, um, then this is a great resource. So that's They Can't Kill Us All by Wesley Lowry. All right. My first pick is a book that just like completely changed the way I think about 
the prison system and the justice system. Uh, it's Incarceration Nations by Boz Dreisinger. I finally know how to say her name. It's Boz. <laughs> um, she was just at Book Riot Live, and it was amazing to get to talk to her and hear her speak. Um, she helped found the prison-to-college pipeline that they do at the John Jay College here in New York. And what she did was go around the country, uh, around the world, excuse me, to nine different countries to look at how they handle the concept of justice. And one of the things that this book introduced me to is this concept of restorative justice, which focuses on the victim and like what they need to move forward and restitution and concepts like that, versus punitive justice, which is all about the aggressor or, you know, perceived aggressor, um, and like punishing them for whatever it is that they did. And you know, I think it's, like, become pretty clear that punitive justice doesn't work that well. Like, if prisons worked, we wouldn't need them. Like, it, it would they would be empty, and they're not. Um, and so she looks at, like, why are they not empty, and what is going on in the prisons, and what is the role of writing and reading um, in prison programs, and what are people doing in other countries that, like, maybe we could look at doing. And also the way that America has exported its concept of how prisons work to the world at large. Um, which is a thing I was not aware of and is really kind of terrifying. Um, And the thing that I love about this book is that it's super readable. Like, I read the whole thing on a plane. It's not dry. It's not heavy. She has all of the stats. She's done the research. She does the work. But she's also really good at telling you the story of, like, what her travels to these prisons was like and how she negotiates her own privilege and trying to make a difference and, um, you know, the stories of the people she meets uh, who are doing work both inside and outside of the prisons. Like, she is just... She just, it's very, it's super readable, Um, and I think that, I mean, it's laying bare, like, a lot of problems, but it's also, like, okay, here's, so here's where we are, how do we get to the next level? So that is Incarceration Nations by Boz Dreisinger. Okay, um, my next one is Pro, Reclaiming Abortion Rights by Katha Pollitt. Um, and obviously this is about (laughs) abortion rights, um, which is kind of my big concern amongst several, but one of my biggest concerns with the Trump presidency is his threats to overturn Roe versus Wade, um, which would send the decisions about uh, abortion back to the states, um, meaning that women would have to travel often out of their states in order to get uh, an abortion. So this book is an examination of what the public uh, feelings are like the, the the public atmosphere or attitude towards abortion right now uh, in this time when the when Roe versus Wade the rights enshrined by Roe versus Wade are being systematically eroded by state laws uh, mostly enacted by men. Um, so the point here is that people who support women's rights to their reproductive health will often qualify it with like, but not after X number of weeks or only if they feel guilty enough about it. Um, so like as if our right to bodily autonomy is um, directly connected to how guilty we feel about having bodily autonomy. Uh, So she breaks down the arguments against abortion. She breaks down the personhood argument. She breaks down the fetal pain argument um, and kind of interrogates people's perspectives or attitudes towards abortion and comes to the conclusion that people don't actually believe those things. They just feel like they have to say those things because the prevailing attitude um, in most states is that abortion is not good. Uh, so people parrot this kind of language, um, even though in reality, most Americans fully support every woman's right to choose her own reproductive health. Uh, 
decision to make her own reproductive health decisions. But we like say that we like we qualify it so we don't feel judged. It's just like a fascinating look at the attitudes surrounding abortion and the complete ridiculousness of um, how our rights are being eroded now. So this is very specifically, I have another uh, thing about feminism in general later, but this is, this book is very specifically about fighting to keep our reproductive rights um, because in my opinion, and in reality, feminism is inseparable from reproductive rights. So that's pro reclaiming abortion rights by Katha Pollitt. My next pick is a book that really helped me in the lead-up to the election um, and that I keep thinking about afterwards. It's called The Feminist Utopia Project. It's edited by Alexander Brodsky and Rachel Cowder-Nalabuff, hopefully is how you say that. Um, and uh, and it's, it's 57 different visions for what whoever the writer is considers their version of the feminist utopia. Um, And it's got people like Melissa Harris-Perry and Janet Mock and Sheila Hetty and um, just all kinds of interesting people, uh, including some men, if I remember correctly, um, on what their vision of a feminist utopia would look like. Um, And they're very different. You know, there's a lot of intersections going on um, here. So we've got, you know, queer voices and disabled voices and voices of color and and all variations thereof. and uh, and it was just it was such an interesting exercise to read about to think about like what would your vision look like um, and they don't all you know match up they don't all line up uh, there's a huge range of attitudes and and thoughts in here um, and you know some of them are more on like the you know humorous satirical edge and some of them are deadly earnest and some of them are poems and some of them are you know photographs and some of them are are short stories and they're just it's just a really amazing book uh, and collection of ways to think about like what is wrong now and what would it look like in a quote-unquote utopia um, and one of my favorite bits was there they did an interview with Melissa Harris Perry and she said that she really thinks like the concept of a utopia without struggle is an incorrect one like it's not that there's no struggle because you know struggle is what you know gets us out of bed in the morning like if everything was easy would we ever move ever again like that's not a utopia mm-hmm. um, but she says you know the point I'm paraphrasing here from my memory but the point is that like the struggle should not be, you know, based on how you present yourself to the world. Like, the struggle should be to achieve your goals, not just to be allowed to have goals. Um, so it's 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 very inspiring, and it's really thought-provoking, and I think it's a good one if you're trying to think through, like, where is it that we're, like, what am I aiming for? So this is the Feminist Utopia Project, edited by Alexander Brodsky and Rachel Cowder-Nalabuff. That's probably not how you say that name. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, okay, so we are kind of running out of time, so I'm going to go fast. So my next pick is Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. This is kind of a feminist 101 um, kind of book for those of you who haven't really thought about how you feel about feminism. And I, the reason I like this is because she she admits that there's no such thing as like a there's no such thing as perfect feminism. There's no such thing as a perfect feminist. We all hold conflicting ideas. Um, all our faves are problematic. Like she talks about how, you know, her like affinity for 90s hip hop, which is super rapey lyrically, but is also really awesome. And can you like it and still be a feminist? The answer is yes. Um, and so some of her essays in here are just funny, like about how pink is her favorite color, and that's fine. <laughs> and some of them are, you know, more thoughtful or serious um, about being a woman of color and what that particular struggle is like and how it differs from. Uh, white feminism um, and the value of feminism now, but all of her 
all of the essays are like steeped in pop culture references. So if you've got somebody who is curious about feminism or doesn't know if they necessarily identify as a feminist, uh, which most people do, if you believe in the equality of the sexes under the law, then you're automatically feminist, whether you like the term or not. Um, then this is a good introductory uh, book for them. So you make a nice Christmas present. Also, she's just super funny um, and once live tweeted reading an issue of Vogue, which I just love. Um, so yeah, so it's Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. Also, my license plate. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, okay, elevator pitches. We can do this. So my next pick is Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how certain segments of the American population, specifically white, middle, and working class, have been left behind, which I think there is validity to. However, they're not the only ones. And Men We Reaped is about um, in five years, Jasmine Ward lost five young men in her life, young black men, to drugs, accidents, suicide, and just like, you know, the bad luck that comes with living in poverty. Um, and she, so she wrote a memoir about, but it's, it's about her, but it's really about these five young men that she knew who all died young and why they died young and what the, you know, socioeconomic and political and cultural situations were that produced those deaths. And so, uh, so I think that this is an important thing to think about when we think about the populations in our country who have been overlooked or left behind. Like, this is necessary reading. So that is Men We Reaped by Jasmine Ward. All right, my next one is Evicted by Matthew Desmond. Uh, he is a sociologist who, is, the subtitle is Poverty and Profit in the American City. So he's taking a look at, I think, eight families who live in Milwaukee who are all poor. They live in poverty. Um, they live either in a trailer park or in a, uh, like, an apartment complex. And um, are just, like, on the edge. So the concept behind this book is that the working poor very often have to spend almost 100% of their income on rent, when in reality you should only be spending about 30% of your income on rent. And so he follows eight different people as they get evicted. One of them is, like, a single mom with two kids who gets evicted a few days before Christmas. And he's also talking to the landlords about um, their why they do this. And it's just like a really heartbreaking and eye-opening look about being a working poor person who doesn't own property. So it's all about, it's a lot about class, race. There's um, stuff in here about drug addiction, um, about the choices that poor people have to make when they live in bad apartments, about like you can either complain about, you know, a non-working toilet or you can risk getting evicted because you're bothering your landlord. And so like the ease with which people can get evicted is covered. Um, also, the tiny percentage of poverty-stricken people who get any assistance ever with their housing when it's, when it's such a huge you know, part of somebody's budget, um, how easy it is to, or how hard it is specifically for single mothers. Like some landlords, a lot of landlords won't rent to single mothers because um, they're a bigger risk and they're often more poor. So like single moms have have it tougher out of the gate because it's harder for them to even get an apartment in the first place. Um, so, yeah, class poverty is, I think, played a big role in this election and is a thing that we should focus on um, a good bit in the future. So that's Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. My next pick is The Letter Q, Queer Writers' Notes to Their Younger Selves, which is edited by Sarah Moon. Um, this book is for you if you are confused about why there's such a fuss about pronouns and or bathrooms and or like, you know, why do we need more than two gender words uh, in the English language? Um, 
And it is also for you if you know firsthand why all of these things are important. Uh, it is a collection of queer writers who are like writing notes to their younger selves. Um, the question that they were asked is, if you received a letter uh, from your, like, if you could write a letter to your young self, what would you say? Um, and and how would you say it? And I we did a reading for this book when I worked at Word Bookstore uh, with a bunch of the contributors and like actual tears the whole time. Like, these letters are so moving. Some of them are really funny. Um, some of them are much more serious. But all of them really capture the struggle and the complications and the, you know, from the just mundane details to the big, you know, questions of bullying or, you know, family rejection, like what it is like to grow up queer and to not have the resources or the acknowledgement from society um, that your choices and your body and your personality and your sexuality are valid. Uh, so that is the letter queer, queer writers notes to their younger selves edited by Sarah Moon. All right, my last pick for this section is White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg. And this is exactly what it sounds like, a 400-year untold history of class in America. Um, so she's going from, like, earliest of American history, like Roanoke, you know, settlers, pilgrims, um, all the way up to our current, like, obsession with Duck Dynasty and Honey, and Here Comes Honey Boo Boo. Um, and it's an analysis of white class systems and how America was supposed to be this like classless utopia kind of where you could come here and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and hard work equals success and rah 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 and all of that and how it has literally never ever been that not ever not ever um and so and not just for people of color but also for poor working white people um and so she talks about uh like our how our society was created, it's like a reaction to the British class system, but how we couldn't shake off the shackles of that. And then how poor whites um, contributed to like the rise of the Republican party in the 1800s, um, how class factored into and did not factor into the uh, fighting of the civil war on into reconstruction. Um, and then all the way up to now when uh, poor white working class people are reportedly said to have had a big role in Trump's election, although that has been debated um, and will continue to be debated as long as uh, votes are still coming in. But either way, it's still uh, a really fascinating book. And if it does turn out to be true, despite, I mean, like the average Trump voter was a college educated upper middle class white person, but that doesn't mean that white working class people didn't come out in droves to vote for him. So it's worth examining the history of that class as a class and how it came to be and the myths that they tell themselves and that we continue to tell poor white people about who they are and how to get out of that situation. So that's White Trash, The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg. Okay, my last pick for this section is I, I feel some kind of way about the mm -hmm. no DAPL protests. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys were following this news, but the local police forces actually used like water cannons on them in below freezing temperatures and tear gas and rubber bullets. And there, I think there have been dogs. Like it's, it's actively horrible out there and like they just want to stop a pipeline from destroying natural resources like this is crazy they put um, 107 people in the hospital yeah it's I, I, I get stuttery. So I was like, ah, we need a book to talk about like what we have done to the First Nations and Native populations in America and if you know of a more recent one, uh, I'm happy to hear about it in the comments and we'll read it immediately. But the one that came to mind is Lakota Woman by Mary Crow Dog. Um, who, so Mary was a part of the, um, 
AIM, I think is what it was called, uh, the American Indian Movement um, in the 70s um, and in the 60s. And, you know, this is not like, it's not like this is just happening now. All of a sudden, this, you know, there have been protests and violent repercussions for Native Americans, just aside from like the general oppression of them and mundane and political matters. Um, but there have been active, you know, clashes of the American government with uh, Native American rights protesters and organizers for, you know, decades. And we don't talk about it. We don't ever talk about it. Um, but Mary was part of them. And so this book is her memoir. It's an oral sort of, she she told it to her uh, writing partner, Richard Erdos. And she's talking about how she grew up, how she got involved, what it was like to be part of this movement, um, the repercussions for herself as a woman, as somebody who is biracial. Uh, it, it's just very eye-opening, I think, and everybody should read it and think about how we need to learn our history so we don't keep repeating it. Uh, so that is Lakota Woman by Mary Crow Dog. Okay, so really quickly, um, we wanted to do a section on Do the Thing, which right. is resources that we have found and are personally using and places we are personally donating to um, that will make, you know, you're doing a thing. Like, action steps you can take, I guess. Um, yours is the best one. You're first. So you go first. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so whatever you believe, because I don't want to make any assumptions, uh, you should be actively talking to your representatives, which is not a thing I ever do. Like, I yes, admit that I have not done this ever before, you know, three days ago. But <laughs> I don't. I didn't even know how to find them. But And, like, what, you know, but we need to be calling our elected officials and paying attention to what they're doing and telling them how we feel about it. So a really easy tool for you to do that is a website called um, Call to Action, and I'm going to leave the link in the show notes, but it's usecalltoaction.com, and you enter your address. You don't enter any other information. You just put in your home address, and they give you your a list of your congressional representatives. There's a little script for, like, you know, how to talk to them. So you say, hi, my name is. I'm calling because this. Please tell Representative X. Thank you for your time. Hang up the phone. Like, making phone calls is terrifying. But, mm. you know, there's a script here. You can do it. They tell you what you can expect when somebody picks up the phone. Like, it's it's super useful, super helpful. So, you know, it's one way. Like, I've committed myself to making a phone call every day so that my voice is being heard. Um, and this is one way that I'm doing it. Um Piggybacking on that, there's a cartoon going around through uh, via Echo Through the Fog. I, I mean, it's a, like a cartoon guide of how to call your representatives when you have social anxiety, which I think is a lot of people is stopping a lot of people from doing this. So there are tips there for like navigating social anxiety to actually like sit down and make a phone call. And these can be difficult when you have social anxiety or even when you don't, because a lot of us are non-confrontational and don't want to get into a fight with someone on the phone. But my experience so far with this and like Jen, I, I this is not a thing that I did before the election, but I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now. And um my experience has been that people are universally polite. Like, these are aides and staffers that you're talking to. Um, and if someone is rude to you, you can literally hang up on them. It's fine. They work for you. So, like, it's not, you know, you're not a bad person if you hang up in someone's face who's rude to you. But so far, no one has been mean to me. And I've called Dave Bratt's office, who is my representative in my district, who is um, was discovered by Steve Bannon. So he's a horrible human being. And his aides were perfectly nice to me when I called him about, you know, his connections to neo-Nazis. So... Uh, yeah, do that. Uh, okay, so my uh, first thing for you is that uh, to pick a place to donate if you have the funds. And I am spreading my donation money out between a couple of different organizations. You can pick the ones that are most important to you. Personally, I think the most important ones for me um, under this presidency will be Planned Parenthood, obviously. 
You can also donate to your local abortion fund. The difference here being that, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood is a big national organization. Your local abortion fund is a fund that um, provides transportation uh, to women who are seeking an abortion, uh, money to, like, if they need a hotel, which will become very important if this becomes a state's rights issue and people have to travel across state lines to get an abortion, if they'll need money for hotels, money for actually paying for it, helping people find out if their insurance covers it, all that kind of stuff. Your local abortion fund is the fund that deals with all that, and I will leave a link to that in the show notes. Uh, And also the ACLU, because um, they're going to be the legal organization that leads the fight against Donald Trump's unconstitutional oppression of minorities, um, which has already begun. So we're in for a very long knuckle-dragging fight against him and his horrible First Amendment violations. So the ACLU needs all the help they can get. Um, Yeah, my picks for those include the Southern Poverty Law Center and the National Resources Defense Council, which specifically works on environmental issues. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I know can be hard is knowing, like, which charity is a good one to donate to. Like, it can be very difficult to figure out, like, okay, there are X number of charities, and aside from the obvious ones, like, how do I know if they're a good one? Um, And there is a website called Charity Navigator, charitynavigator.org, where you can go and look up almost any uh, nonprofit organization, registered nonprofit, and see, you know, does their, do your donations actually go towards the work? Or are you lining, you know, some executive director's pockets, which is sadly sometimes a thing that happens. Um, so you can, and you can also look up keywords. So if you're looking for a charity to donate to on a certain issue and you don't know of any, um, it can help you find one. Uh, and, um, I just want to do a plug in here for finding your local LGBTQ and or homelessness charity. Um, for me in New York City, it's Housing Works and the Aliforni Center. Um, but there's a lot of people who just don't have any resources. And um, there is a local organization near you that is helping them. It might be a soup kitchen. It might be a shelter. It might be an organization that helps place them in those things. Uh, but, you know, do a little research. Look around a little bit. See if you can't find one. Yeah. Um, yes. A plus. <laughs> uh, my other tip here or thing that you can do right now is to get a newspaper subscription. Um, and I've said this before. I said this at Book Art Live. But the reason why this is important is because the president is not required to have daily press briefings. The president is not required to let the press into the White House ever at all. And which uh, is dangerous in general, is super dangerous with this president who already has so many open and obvious conflicts of interest uh, everywhere. So um, he right now, like as I'm speaking, he's in a Twitter fight with the New York Times because <laughs> uh, he's an idiot. And so uh, it's a very important, I think, to support good investigative journalism if you can, um, because we really need to keep a scrupulous eye on his doings. Uh, I picked the Washington Post for the reasons that I said earlier in the show. You pick whatever you want. If you can't afford a subscription, there's um, a link I'll leave in the show notes to people who are donating newspaper subscriptions to people who can't afford them. So you can hook up with somebody there and they will get you one. Um, And yeah, support investigative journalists. First Amendment. Woo! <laughs> um, my last pitch for you is to get involved in your community. There's a huge spike after moments like these where everybody wants to volunteer their time, but it, you know, and some organizations are like overrun with volunteers, but they don't have enough like actual things for them to do because people in their communities don't show up for programming. Um, so what you know, volunteering is great and you should do it, but even more than that, like go to a town meeting, vote in your local school board election, like show 
up at a community event, whether it's like a potluck dinner or like, I don't know, there's all kinds of things happening in your community. There are street fairs, there are town meetings, there are referendum hearings, there are all kinds of things that the vast majority of us do not pay attention to. And change starts in your community. It starts in your house, it starts in the streets outside your house, and it starts where you live. Um, And that is one of the best ways that you can help make it happen is to know who is in your community and have conversations with them and know who you're, who you're electing. So yeah, go do some, do some research, (laughs) find out what's going on in your neighborhood. Um, I just wanted to mention there's the tiny letter called looking to help. So tinyletter.com slash looking to help. This is a newsletter, the newsletter that goes out every day that has daily action steps you could take um, to combat whatever atrocities the re- the Trump regime is is doing right now, and I've been subscribed to it for about a week, and every day the action steps are are great and easy and take like five or ten minutes, um, so that's useful. And then I just also to close want to co-sign what Jen just said about getting involved in your local community, which is not a thing. Being super antisocial and in love with my sofa, a thing that I, yeah, I do. Same. Um, <laughs> but uh, so like last night, I went to a meeting the first time I've ever done this of like a local Democrat event or whatever, um, and it was great. I met some people from the party and I met some uh, local politicians and found out before most people like who they're going to run for the governorship later. And it was the reason it was useful because they could point me at like, here's who we need to do X, Y, Z to get this person elected so that we can prevent this, that, and the other thing that Donald Trump is planning to do. Like it was very action step oriented, which was useful to me. And the way that I found that is just by Googling my county Democratic Party. So the county that I live in, Democratic Party. And then I found it. So if you are in a third party or you're Republican or whatever, just Google your county chapter of whatever party you want to get involved in um, and then go to the meetings and they will point you where you need to go to get involved in your local stuff. So that's our show. (laughs) (laughs) Get heavy. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Read us on iTunes, I guess. Maybe not based on this particular episode. (laughs) I mean, we gave some good book recommendations. We did. uh, In my opinion. (laughs) Uh, So you can find us on social media. Please don't come yell at me because I can't. I just can't deal with it right now. Uh, But yeah. Okay. So you you can can come yell at me. It's cool. Come on. You can yell at Jen. Um, We are at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. We will be back to our regular regularly scheduled programming next week. Um, And thank everyone for listening. Bye.